Hi friends, I just wanted to apologize for the sound quality in this episode. We had an open window and lots of background noise and a cell phone alarm that kept going off that I didn't notice at the time. I've done my best to scrub what I can, but it's a little, little shaky this week and I apologize and hopefully next time we'll be back to a better, less annoying sound experience. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. Today is Wednesday, June 12th, 2019. It is hot. It's not as bad as it has been. That's true. Oh. But you're Monica. I am Monica. <laughs> and I'm Courtney. I was going to say that at some point. <laughs> And also thank you to all of our listeners, old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. And a big welcome to all of you that have joined us from the Two Knit Lit Chicks podcast. Their most recent episode, they did a little shout out and, and recommendation, and we really appreciate that. I've been listening to their podcast for years, and it's wonderful, and I love it. And now I'm a new listener of theirs since... Oh, yes. Oh, good. They didn't know me, and I didn't know them, and now we've been introduced. Excellent. Which is really fun. Yes, I go to their retreat also. That's, I talked about that uh, a few episodes ago, and they're wonderful, wonderful women. And Tracy is correct. Most of our book recommendations are going to be very different. But there's, there's maybe 5% crossover, uh, including one of the ones that I'm going to talk about later. So in this episode, we'll have On the Needles on easel on the table and on the nightstand and we'll probably do some bingo updates right at the end oh yes okay good. i'm bingoing away excellent i didn't know that was a verb but I like it, it is now so the window is open because we are in the midst of a san francisco heat wave i think we can legit call this hot right it's been it, today is not but it's been in the it, mid 90s which for san francisco is ridiculous it's record breaking yeah since the early 80s i think Oh, okay. 1980s. 1980s. Although I was climbing the steps, the mosaic steps, up the hill. Today? No, yesterday. Oh, well, even, in the heat. Even worse. This really nice gentleman from the neighborhood up there, he and I were complaining about the heat, which is the only thing I'm able to converse about. Yes. And he said he thought it was the hottest it's been in recorded history in June. I don't know that for sure, but anecdotally, I'm going to take the older gentleman's word for it because sure. it sure feels yeah so the window is open the birds, so there might, the birds are singing the birds are singing there might be some extra background noise um, which i cannot promise will be put out but i'm not closing the window because my house is still really hot because no one has air conditioning because it's never this hot yeah san francisco is particularly not well equipped for heat because we normally have this Wonderful fog, which keeps everything cool and damp and moldy. <laughs> but um, when it disappears, none of us quite know how to function because we don't really have infrastructure to cool ourselves down. And you can just no. take off so many clothes. Yes. Well, and we only have one summer outfit each, so. It's <laughs> true. I've been wearing the same thing for three days in a row. Yeah, that's what happens. <sighs> All right, enough about our weather. Yes, ma'am. Knitting. Oh, I'll get more knitting in tonight as I'm watching the Bruins game seven. They're still in it. It has been an amazing week in sports. The Warriors are still in it. 
I know. USA you... Women's Soccer. Oh my gosh. Anyway, on the needles. Finished. Object. You see it over there? Nope. Yes. Yeah, so I finished my little bird sweater by Vera Valamaki. And the yarn is Isiger Spinny, which is a lace weight wool in color 101 deep teal. And I love it. And I haven't been able to wear it because it's been so hot. Like I haven't even taken finished object photos because I don't want to wear it. Did you block it? I did. I don't think I soaked it long enough because it's kind of wrinkly. Or it just dried too fast in this heat. I think I blocked it before the heat started. Okay. And then, it's beautiful. So I'm really excited. It turned it out. It looks hot though. I know, even though it's <laughs> lace and has lace panels all over it. But yeah, the blocking did fill in some of the unevenness. This neckline is really extraordinary. Can you talk about this a little bit? It just looks really elegant. Oh, did thanks. you do something different? Um, it's one by one twisted ribbing. Oh, that's right. You do. You and then, yeah, so I didn't do anything that wasn't called for in the pattern. Um, I left the sleeves three-quarter, although I had plenty of yarn left over. I could have done more. But I think I felt, because of the laciness and the way the the proportions are, were good with the three-quarters sleeve. So I'm super excited about that. And the heat is supposed to be ending soon, so I should be able to, to get a picture wear, of it. Yeah. Wear a summer sweater. Yeah. yeah. Um, I sure hope so. Carl, Carl the Fog will be back soon, hopefully. So yes, I'm very excited about that one. That one. I enjoyed it. I think that the directions were really well written and it was fun to knit because you have the lace section so you have to kind of kind of pay attention it's not complicated lace and then the stockinette section so you're just knitting for a while and by the time you get bored with that you go back to doing lace provided you don't do the wrong lace the section. wrong section the wrong section and have to rip it rip it out and pick up 200 and something lace weight stitches but it all worked out so i was excited about that and then i started a baby sweater and this is a pattern i've done before I've gone back to, and it is the Sunny Side by Tannis Lavallee. She is Tannis Fiber Arts. And the yarn I'm using has been in my stash since 2010. How do you know that? Because oh, I put it all in Ravelry. Data lady. Yep. I love Ravelry. So you can see, you can see how long something has been sitting there. I don't know that I would have thought it has been there almost 10 years, but it has. Um, and the colorway is Sweet Decay, and the yarn is um, Space Cadet Yarns um, Celeste Fingering Base. Lest you think Sweet Decay looks like a giant bruise, it is not. <laughs> it is like an ochre and an orange with... For the rest of us, it's like a yellow and a green and a brown. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's not really maybe. orange. But ochre, which is a really warm yellow, yes, that fades into these all these different green variegations and bright, like chartreuse kind yeah. of neon. Not neon entirely, but bright yellows and bright green. It makes me think of a, a beautiful field, you know, a mm -hmm. grassy field, just with all these different. Yeah, I really liked it. They don't. The baby is due this month, um, and they don't know what they're having, so I thought it would go. Well, and this is a cute little pattern. She has two versions of it in the same pattern. And so the one I chose, there's cables along the raglan edges and then down along the button bands, the front. Um, and then there's another one that you can do that's uh, lace panels that sort of looks like cables but is a little lacier and you could do a pico trim with that. So if you wanted to go, I don't know, more feminine, people think lace is being more feminine. Um, 
I'm fond of the cables. And I love that and there's love a the cable on the back shoulder, not just mm-hmm. the front, but the back too. And that's just so sweet. What a great detail. And then I've ordered some little green apple buttons. Oh, cute. To go with it because I figure they won't wear it till the fall. So that'll be kind of... Yeah, that is a well, good like, apple green. And I've knit almost the entire thing. I have half a sleeve left, and it is, uh, I think I'm doing the 6 to 12 month size, so it should take me, I don't know, half an hour. I just need to finish doing it. Well, it's beautiful. Thanks. I wish it was in my size. <laughs> it is a cute pattern. It'd probably be pretty easy. I mean, it's a basic raglan sweater, so you could certainly... I can't even remotely think about knitting well, until my fog is back. And you finish your 7 eighths sweater. Is it like 9 tenths now? Can we move it up? Not really. I just like 7 eighths. It's a good mm-hmm. fraction. So then, yeah, so then I'm kind of planning all my next knitting moves. My mom very much likes the cowl that I gave her for our Alaska trip, and she said she wanted a hat as well. I did not necessarily have to match, but that would be great because... She doesn't have any knit hats. So I was like, okay, sure. Let me let me think about that. And I think I've got a plan for that. And then it occurred to me that Father's Day is coming and that my dad might need a hat as well. So <laughs> I kind of checked in with mom, with mom and she said, yeah, that would be a good idea. I was like, well, so it might not actually be done because at this point Father's Day is four days away. And I can knit a hat pretty fast, but I'm not sure that that will actually happen. I was like, but I can give him a skein of yarn and say by the time we go to Alaska, it will it will be a hat. Or like earmuffs. Something like that. Yeah, headband. <laughs> that would be a good look. Um, and then I want to start a new sweater, and I think I have figured out which one I'm starting. The main thing was I figured out the yarn. And I want to use my Gage Dye Works sweater yarn um, in the colorway whiskey in a teacup. Gage Dye Works, she started off, she figured out how to dye the yarn so that your stripes on a triangular shawl would be even. I think she started off doing self-striping sock yarn, regular yarn. So the stripes are all kind of the same. And when you knit in a circle, they stay the same width. The problem is if you're using that on a triangular shawl, you start off with fewer stitches and then you have a bajillion stitches. So your stripes get all different. So she figured out the math to... This is advanced math. I don't know how advanced it is, but (laughs) more advanced than I could do for sure. Anyway, she figured it out. And so she started doing shawl yarn. So with self-patterning mm-hmm. shawl yarn. So it's amazing. She has great color sense. I love it. And then she was talking to Stephanie Pearl McPhee, the yarn harlot, who is, knitters will know who I'm talking about for the rest of you. She's amazing. She has a blog. She's a fabulous knitter, known, you know, book writer, really funny. So she does, pat- she designs patterns. No, she's, okay. she's just a writer more. Oh, okay. Yeah. And knitter. She knits all the time and speaker. And um, she was one of the organizers of Sock Summit. Okay. We went to back in the day. So I think she was talking with this dyer and said it would be great if we could get sweater yarn um, because kind of the same problem if you're doing a raglan sweater fewer stitches at the top more at the bottom you wouldn't want stripes all the way down. So she did it. She figured out how to do it so you have kind of a rainbow at the top in the yoke part of it and then it's solid for the rest of it. So you have solid sleeves, solid body. Fun. Super fun. Um, so I had done one of these for a different baby in the family and it was so cute and then someone posted a picture they had used two skeins of it to make one for themselves and just did every round twice or whatever yeah use one skein use the other you know split back and forth so that was ended up being big enough for adults so I bought some of that yarn 
Okay. So anyway, so basically, come down to it, I have rainbow yarn <laughs> that I want to use because it's June. So I just felt like a fun thing to do. And I've also really wanted to do this sweater. So it was trying to find the appropriate raglan sweater to knit with. Excellent. So I'm excited to start that. And my Alaska cowl, I still have to do my Alaska. Yes. Yeah. But luckily I am I'm going on a, a long weekend vacation, so I should have some time. I don't think it'll be 100 degrees in Alaska. Have you looked at the temperatures? Oh, well, right now it isn't. Like, you'll um, be able to well, wear these cowls. It'll be chilly oh, yes. out there, right? Yes. Well, yeah, we don't know. That seems to be the recommendations for Alaska is to bring layers, much as one does for a San Francisco trip. Generally. Generally. Yeah. Wear layers. It could be rainy. It could be lovely. Layers. I'm, make, I'm layers. making a cowl, <laughs> so I've got to do that. So I have a lot of knitting to get to. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So on the email. Okay. I am on day 71 of the 100-day project. Wow. I think I am still a day behind, but we've had some stuff going on. End of the school year, some family celebration stuff has derailed any notion I thought about catching up or even painting before nine o'clock at night. It's been just crazy. But I am pretty much on track with my 100-day project. This week, I am painting things that are deep dark green. Oh, that's why the, the shirt you're wearing today. Yes. just That's just coincidence. Oh, okay. I didn't plan it. Although I did paint my toenails deep dark green too. Also, while I am not tattooed, I draw a lot, not a lot of tattoos, but I draw tattoos for some friends. So I drew a new tattoo this weekend, and I drew it on her because she wants it to wrap around her ankle. And that is not as straightforward, like it's not a straight line. No. No. It kind of, it has a, a great deal of curve to it in order to get it to lay right on the ankle. So drawing something two-dimensional on a three-dimensional object, i.e. someone's ankle, was a really interesting challenge because it it was like drawing on a piece of sculpture, you know, Mm -hmm. like doing the detail work. So that was really an interesting exercise. And then because my friend Kelly was here and we were all over town shopping and eating out and doing fun things, we kept seeing these really cute tea towels. We were over at Land's End and they had some like um, quail and poppy ones for our state bird and flower. And then we saw one that said, you look radishing with radishes on it. I mean, so cute. And I was thinking that I am almost there. I almost have a gigantic set of kettles and typewriters and butterflies and tea tins. And boy, tea kettles and tea tins are tea towel-ish. My friend Kelly and I were talking about ways to put the images on tea towels. And wouldn't that be a fun gift? Or maybe maybe that's a Christmas card or I don't know. Mm, yeah. So I looked this morning at Spoonflower and having my own fabric printed. And I looked at what I had for screen printing supplies if I just wanted to do like a two or three color run and then I can print them at home, either silk screen them or do like a lino cut. So my mind is engaged with that process because now I have lots of art from the 100 day project and now I'm feeling really good about having all of these random different tea kettles and all different colors and my original plan was to 
do an array poster with with like a dozen tea kettles on it and then like some fun quote or something at the bottom and I'm still going to do that so I started the process to think about how I'm going to sell those mailing tubes plastic sleeve a label sticker I've been sending out some of the commissions and painting right on the envelope like on the rigid envelope and that's fun and I can do it pretty quickly but it's not you know, gouache will reignite with water. So it's not permanent. I thought it would be great to just have more of a permanent label that I could stick on and and send off. So I guess what's happening is all of these little pieces from the 100-day project that I was feeling sort of ho-hum about last week, now I'm seeing, wow, I have like all these little mini collections. It doesn't feel like one giant body of work, Mm -hmm. but it does feel like three or four small collections that I can do something really cool with that I kind of anticipated, but maybe it can go in a couple different directions. Yeah, that sounds really fun. So I'm excited about that. And that is what's on the easel. Oh, excellent. Okay. (laughs) On the table. So I did make the rhubarb and chard gratin from the little short stack book, Rhubarb by Sherry Castle. It was... Not all that I hoped it would be. Simon really liked it. It was the rhubarb and the chard in basically a bechamel sauce. Never bad. Cheese. Never bad. I think my proportions were a little off and I had, and this is going to sound really weird, too much cheese sauce. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure how that is possible, but it felt overly, overly che- sauced. Yeah, and so then you didn't get enough of the tart and the deep chard flavor was kind of overwhelmed by the cheese but it was good everybody ate it and Simon said he really liked it so you might have to play with that what happens to I mean I thought that rhubarb needed the sugar and the pectin from fruit to sort of break it down make it a little bit less tart and a little bit less celeried texture it got pretty well cooked okay do you dice it or do you just... Yes. Okay. Well, no, I, I sliced it up. That is an interesting question. I can't remember if there was any sugar in there. I, no, I think I sauteed it first. Oh, okay. A little bit. And then you mixed it with the chard and then mixed it all together and put it in the oven. So even I felt like it could have used a little bit more structure. It felt a little bit mushy, mm. which is fine in a cobbler. But for this, it felt like it needed a little more something. Excellent. So Well, not yeah. excellent maybe, but... Yeah. A good experiment. Yes, a learning experience. But definitely possibilities there. And then last night, I finally got my act together and I made a salad, a no-cook salad, when it was hot. Seriously. I was so proud of myself. Uh, So I got a rotisserie chicken and, oh, sorry, Indonesian slaw uh, from Salad for Dinner by Jean Kelly. And I've made this one before um, and I really like it. And so it's chopped or sliced cabbage and chicken or tofu if you're not a chicken person, pineapple, green onions, red bell pepper, um, and then you make kind of a spicy peanut sauce and toss it all together with some crumbled peanuts on the top. Colorful, huh? Colorful, easy, crunchy, delicious. You can make it all ahead and you just don't put the dressing on until the last minute, which is what I ended up doing. It was good and you don't have to turn the oven on that is definitely a prerequisite when our temperatures get up this warm 
because that was the next thing I was going to talk about, was Declan has made two dinners for us. Wonderful. Dash is cooking tonight, but his one that he made Monday involved two pots of boiling water and oh my word, baking cheese in the oven for half an hour. And it was delicious, but it was a little toasty and a little even more toasty in the kitchen. Um, but that recipe is from Jamie Oliver. I can't remember if I mentioned last time, the boys really like to use the book Jamie's Food Revolution, Revolution, which is a project he had a few years ago where he was working on teaching people to cook so that they eat more healthily, not eat out as much, just mm-hmm. people that had sort of never really felt like they could cook. Um, and he went around to schools and community centers, and um, I think there was a TV show about it. So the, the book is very clear. I mean, it's his usual style, but there's a picture of every recipe. So it's one to a page, um, pretty detailed. And he goes through kind of everything, like turn the oven on. Okay, now you're going to chop your whatever, and then you do this, and then you do this. Because sometimes if you go into a recipe and it'll have, you need three chopped onions or whatever, but it doesn't tell you the order to do it. And when you know how to cook, you know, okay, I need to chop stuff first, or I can, you'd look ahead and, okay, I've got a part where the water is boiling, so I can do a bunch of prep stuff then. But if you've never cooked or you don't cook that much then you don't know those kinds of things so the boys really like it because it's it's pretty pretty clear um so this one is pasta and you take the top off a wheel of camembert and add some fresh rosemary and garlic slices and olive oil and then you bake it and it bakes in its little container in the rind in the rind and you leave it in the container as well um, Mm -hmm. and it gets all bubbly and then you cook your pasta and you mix them together. And you can throw in some cooking water as well. Oh, so this is the second or third time we've made this. The last time we made it, Declan was gonna make it. And I went grocery shopping and bought the cheese and I stuck it, I think in the back of the fridge. And it came time to make it and we pulled the cheese out and it was half gone <laughs> because Simon loves cheese. And oh. he went and found it and ate like half of the cheese. Maybe not half, but it was a lot of it. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? So it didn't work as well. We tried to figure it out, but because it didn't have the full rind, it all kind of melted out and the rosemary was way too overpowering. And so... So now you have to hide the cheese. Well, I went grocery shopping on the day that he uh, made the recipe, so it it worked out. I I have to leave notes on things in the fridge. Like, I have a plan for this. Don't eat. But this time, the pasta and the cheese worked very well. I actually doubled up the cheese because you know, teenage boys and me, quite frankly, I really like cheese. So yes, that was really good. And then the other one he made was Crackin' Good Burgers in the same book, Jamie Oliver. And, you know, they were hamburgers, but they were, they were quite delicious. What's the Crackin' part? Crackling? Oh, I guess because they use crackers. Oh. Instead of bread. Not that you would normally use bread in a hamburger. I mean, you use it like in meatloaf. He calls for Jacob's cream biscuits. Mm-hmm. So I think I bought something that was kind of like a Ritz cracker, and we crumbled those up. It wasn't a, even better. Yeah, I mean, I, went, I figured it was something kind of buttery and delicious. Um, yeah, I always thought cracking was just kind of a, a British adjective for excellent, <laughs> but <laughs> it maybe may it's well, both. It may well be. So yeah. yeah. So those were really actually really good, and it was interesting because usually when I make hamburgers, not that I do it that often, but I would roll it in a ball, and then hand flatten it. And he says, throw the ball in the pan and use your spatula to just squash it. 
Okay, so that's what Declan did. And I got to say, as a 15-year-old, it's super easy. He was just kind of doing things, and I sat in the kitchen. We had a little little table in there, so I sat there to kind of oversee and if he had any questions. And he had a few, but mostly he was just doing it on his own. It was great. That's fantastic. So we're making progress. And he said even the questions he was asking, he sort of thought he knew the answer, but he just wanted to, to check in. So... Good. Bravo. So we'll see. Tonight is stromboli with oh, my. I love stromboli. My other child, right? But like meat and gluten, so we never have it. But Simon is on a business trip tonight, so and that's all that I've been cooking. Okay. Which is not even all me. My oldest son did his famous ribs. Oh yeah. Sorry, vegans. <laughs> um, he made ribs for one of the warrior games. My sister-in-law recommended rinsing off the ribs with white vinegar first. It's a great way to clean them, and then it imparts that sort of tang right from the get-go. And then, of course, you pat them dry and do your dry rub right over it. So you leave the, that layer of vinegar on the rib. This has worked out beautifully. My son has a, ri- a rib rub recipe that he really loves but he forgot to send it to me. So I'm going to have to find it and put a link to it because he's very proud of it. Yeah. It's quite simple and it's not spicy. I mean, it has a lot of flavor, but it's not hot, hot. That's key. And we like them a little on the drier side, but he does add like a purchased barbecue sauce just to the top of them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we had that success. And with that, I made a broccoli slaw. It was so hot that night. We did cook the broccoli a little bit, but I think I I could have done it even less. It could have been just blanched and it would have been fine. They would have been a little more crispy. But the slaw had um, like a rice wine vinegar, a little bit of olive oil, a little salt and pepper, a little bit of sugar to help break down the, the vinegar, and then a little bit of water. It's a recipe, I mean, I use that sort of marinade for cabbage and for anything that's kind of on the crunchy side. And it was perfect to go to pair with the ribs, I think. I liked having oh, a yeah. crunchy broccoli that with it. That sounds delicious. And then anything, just the broccoli, anything else in there? I think I might have had some green scallions, green onions okay. in there. But no, it Basically was all broccoli, broccoli, broccoli sauce. Nice. Yeah. And then, um, are you ready for the pie? extravaganza oh yes okay so we had a little celebration that my older son requested pies for and so nathan's favorite is apple pie and i had a helper in my kitchen so the on friday we made all the pie dough and i use a, um instead of water i use vodka out of the freezer to, yes. to do the pie dough because the vodka bakes off and then it just leaves behind like flaky flaky pastry so in all of these pies I think we made six pies I just didn't roll out the crust thin enough on the apple and the peach the rest came out great but I could have gone like another couple passes over that crust and then it would have been I think near perfect Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of nitpicking here because I'm picky about pie so we made the red raspberry pie from the Silver Palette Cookbook, which is a classic mm. red raspberry pie. 
and I did a lattice top and it was beautiful and not super thick you know the raspberries are great right now and I think it calls for a little bit of lime juice in there and a little Mm -hmm. lime zest that is a, a super recipe then we did the apple and peach pies which are from the Fanny Farmer cookbook then we did a blackberry galette cheesecake which I kind of messed up it's meant to be a you know a galette is mm-hmm. where the crust wraps over the fruit right it's not in a dish it's right on a pan. yeah right but I was in go mode basically and I just put the crust into a, a tart pan mm-hmm. and we ended up doing it in there so the edges were a little bit cleaner so it turned into more looking like a tart and less like a galette so what was the cheesecake part the cheesecake is is it on the bottom cream cheese oh. um yeah you you mix up the cheesecake part first which is cream mm-hmm. cheese and egg and whatever cheesecake sugar and yeah. che- cheesecakey things and you pour that into the form and then the blackberries were in like a sugar maybe that's the one that had lime now, now that I'm misremembering a little lime zest in it and then they were so big they were like the th- size of my thumb oh, wow. the, the blackberries and so we cut them in half and sort of just placed them in the top it was beautiful I have some pictures and that's a smitten kitchen recipe interesting and then we made a sour cream coffee cake from bark so it's like a giant danish basically like what giant the, cheese blackberry danish the the cheesecake yes galette. it is i think it would have been excellent ra- wrapped in the dough and i might go back to that one again because everybody loved it it was gone and yeah. it would be really good for breakfast yeah See, um danish. yeah totally a danish the sour cream coffee cake is from mark bitman's how to bake everything mm-hmm. it has walnuts in it and it was a really simple serviceable coffee cake recipe I think that I could have made two of them and they would have been consumed this one fit into an 8 by 8 pan so it was kind of small small for my big crowd you know we had 25 people so it wasn't quite big enough and we had no leftovers which was a real disappointment (laughs) this was more like a a brunch scenario and Mm -hmm. so our one savory thing well, we had a charcuterie platter and cheeses and that kind of thing. But I made um, a broccoli, asparagus, and cheddar frittata, mm. which we pulled off of Epicurious. And that one was gluten-free because we did have our cousin who is gluten-free. So we had that option. And it was awesome. The asparagus, we had pan-roasted the asparagus and the broccoli the day before so it was ready to roll and then just chopped it up and put it into this frittata and cooked it off in the oven and it was really good it calls for heavy cream I didn't have any heavy cream so we just added a little bit more cheddar Sounds good. it was really fabulous. how big was it um yeah. it went into a 9 by 13 okay so it was decent size and but we had no leftovers of that, yeah, that I think sense. because it was one of our few savory things and not everybody wanted apple pie at 10 30 in the morning i don't know i don't know i'm sure that made your boy happy more for him yeah so yeah i need to work on my pie crust um not today because it's too darn hot but um yeah how did you because it was hot 
Friday and Saturday. Did you have a lot of trouble with that or Friday? I think that the the pie got a little soggy bottomed um, just from we couldn't get them in and out of the oven fast enough. Mm. Just the apple and the peach. And that's a disappointment because I was super excited for peach pie. Yeah. I might have to go back and get more peaches. We did all the pie crusts the day before and they went into the fridge. So it wasn't too, too bad. And then we baked everything off on Saturday pretty early in the morning to avoid the real. And we were, you know, when you have a, a partner in crime, you can bake off all of these. We were in and out in three hours. So we did yeah. every, we just did a blast. And then the frittata, we baked that off the day before too. And I put it in the fridge and it was, everybody was so relieved to have cold frittata because yeah, it was so warm. Oh, it's equally delicious. That oh, way yeah. Too. It's, yeah. Like, it's like quiche. It's the same yeah. idea. It's good either way. So, Excellent. Yeah. Isn't that a nice big list of recipes for you? And that allowed me to check off cooking with fruit on my bingo. Very nice. Thank you. Well done. All right, on the nightstand. Yeah, what are you reading? So many things. I was just <gasps> looking at my list, and it's even more than I thought. I think because the boys are off school, I've been a little bit lazy. It's like, yeah, it's summer vacation. I'm going to take a day off here. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I finished Gingerbread by Helen Oyemi, and that one... I was talking about last time. Yeah, so that one was weird. <laughs> I really liked that it. Oh, one. and I figured out how, yes. That was the one, and I'm reminding myself and maybe our yes. listeners, where it was sort of um, a riff on the Hansel and Gretel. Yes. Right, yes. So okay. there's mom and her mother and her daughter. So mom, grandma, daughter, granddaughter, three women, three generations. They live in London. The mom and the grandmother have allegedly come from this land but wikipedia says it doesn't exist um so there's it's a little bit magical they make this amazing gingerbread lots of things happen and i it's really hard to explain and i think i started thinking of it as it's almost like reading a dream you know how you have a dream Mm -hmm. and it all makes perfect sense but then you try and explain it to someone and nothing makes sense yes that's kind of how this book is but it's beautiful the writing is lovely and I think that's also why I couldn't remember what her other book was about because it's not it's not exactly a plot. There's there's stuff that happens. There's forward motion. It's not totally random. Like but maybe not not straightforward. Clearly linear. Yes. Okay. And yeah, things don't make sense all the time. But I really liked it. I would definitely recommend it. It's a really really interesting writing style and point of view. Then I read The Island of the Sea Women by Lisa C. Uh, she wrote uh, the humming Pe- hummingbird lane in peony and love. I think so. Yeah, um, which I don't think I've read any of her other books. I loved the tea girl of hummingbird lane for the most part. There was a couple little things about it that didn't quite land, but I remember mm-hmm. that really distinctly. Um, but this one I really liked as well. There's an island that's part of South Korea. It's in between uh, the Korean Peninsula and Japan, and. Is this Jeju Island? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Due to various historical, political circumstances, the women of the island are the ones that do all the work. They earn the money. They control the money. Um, having daughters is a good thing because then you have someone else to work. The men kind of take care of the young kids and 
are basically known to be useless. <laughs> Wait, <is laughs> According this, to the women. Is this um, fictitious? No, or, it's oh, real. really? Yeah, so it's based on actual events. Um, it takes place, a lot of it uh, starts right before World War II, uh, goes through that, goes through a huge mess of political messiness that happened right after World War II and comes up to the modern times. There's two good friends that are both women divers, and it goes through all their experiences. And what are they diving for? Fish. Ab- abalone. Abalone. Abalone is, yeah, a real expensive one if you can find it. But, you know, all the octopus and seashells, and there's there's tragedy, and there's love, and, you know, all the things. Uh, a lot of it happens in the, the crisis, and the drama happens mostly during um, the Korean War after World War II when they're trying to figure out are they going to be independent or but then America is in there and it was crazy and you can read about these incidents uh, I had I had never heard about this and there was a completely crazy political war just mm. specifically on the island I mean the rest of Korea went through a lot of trauma as well but they don't even know how many people died during mm. this time and they weren't allowed to talk about it until very recently like mm. you would basically go to jail and be killed if you I might be exaggerating a little, but not too much. Um, you were not allowed to talk about it, what had happened on the island. So, um, and they've come through. There's a there's a peace park now, and the victims have been identified and memorialized. So the historical part of it was very interesting. Um, but then the story of these two friends was really touching as well. So, yeah, so may, I recommend that one. May I interject a Jeju Island story? Yes. So I have an across-the-street neighbor who is in a a care facility right now and I go and visit her um, when I can and when I was last over at her care facility which is like um, assisted living they did universal yums which is this it's a monthly subscription box you get this box and on the outside it'll say like it'll give you a little hint because you don't know which country is inside is represented inside and so the clue was something about that gangnam style the the dancing you know Mm -hmm. so one of the little old ladies knew that it was south korea and so you open up the box and it's full of different south korean snacks little green tea candies and Mm -hmm. all of this other stuff and then there's a little booklet that has trivia and stories and facts about south korea And one of the treats at the very end of the box were these tangerine gummies. And it said something like that the tangerines come from the best place to grow tangerines on earth, which is um, Jeju Island. And it's all very hyperbolic. You know, these are the best tangerine candies ever. They did talk about the tangerines in the book as well. Well, apparently the conditions are really Mm -hmm. superb for tangerines. And the booklet said that Jeju Island is this tropical paradise, and it's very similar to the Hawaiian islands in terms of um, biodiversity and that kind of um, interest. And the beaches are really beautiful. And I had heard about the Lisa C. book. I didn't realize that it was on Jeju Island. But now this place keeps coming up in my summer lexicon. 
which I think is just kind of cool. So anyway. It is one of those things. Yes, and I, I was looking because I hadn't heard of it, so I was kind of looking it up as I was reading to find out about this place. And it is now kind of a tourist area, mm -hmm. just part of the problem because no one wants to, none of the women want to be divers because it's really difficult and yeah. hard work. They want to work in the tourist industry. And so people sell, like, they've been living on a beach for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Um, so they'll sell their house and make it an Italian restaurant and the tourists will go and it kind of is changing so the, the yeah, culture. So the diving women are disappearing. One of the things she talks about in the book, you used to, there was a age 55 mandatory retirement age and now there's hardly anybody under 55 doing it. Um, mm. But they've gotten, they used, and they used to dive in just like in little cotton outfits um, and they do wetsuits now, but they've done studies on these women. And I think there's women divers in Japan as well. Um, to study like how can they not get hypothermia or how can they survive it and and recover um, so there was there was so many interesting parts of this book I that sounds them. great I yeah. still think we should find some tangerine gummies though that sounds delicious <laughs> I would take it I'm interested in that box that sounds cool too universal yums all right and this is not an advertisement either it's a really fun box it's it yeah. would be great for a family um, but there's sweets and savories, and I really appreciate the uh, trivia in that, too. Yeah, so, yeah that sounds really cool. All right, so my favorite book of this slew of them is The River by Peter Heller. So you can add me to all the people that are recommending this. Yeah, it was fabulous. He's written a couple other books. His one before this, I think, was Celine, which I didn't love. It was fine. He wrote Dog Stars, which I loved. That's one of my so favorites, This one is too. much more like Dog Stars. So this one is two college friends. They become best friends. Uh, they meet during orientation on a you know outdoor hike. One's from Colorado, one's from Vermont. They grew up camping and hunting and fishing. So they're outdoorsmen. Um, so they decide to take, I think it's their senior year, they're going to go on a canoeing trip up in Canada along a string of lakes to a river, take a semester off so they can just spend as much time as they need and just have a relaxing trip. They have two or three weeks left to go and they smell smoke. So they climb up a tree and they realize there's a forest fire, like a huge honking forest fire coming. They don't have a phone. They don't have any way of getting in touch with anyone. The plan was when they got to the village at the end of the river, then they would call in and the float plane would come get them. So there's really nothing they can do but kind of go for it. And while they're canoeing, this weird fog comes in and they hear a man and woman arguing, but they can't see the shore. They can't see where they are exactly. And in fog, you know, the noises are, you can't really tell where it's coming from. So they can't really do anything. So they keep canoeing. The fog lifts. And the next morning, uh, a man comes by and, but the woman's not there. Things go on from there. So it's all this drama Suspenseful. So you've got the forest fire coming in. They're not sure what happened with the man and the woman. It's getting colder, so theoretically it could snow anytime because northern Canada. And it was interesting because these are guys, this is not some two, you know, frat bros that don't know what they're doing. Like, these guys know how to live outside. This was a months-long trip. Mm -hmm. They're fully prepared. They know what to do. They can hunt. They can fish. You know, they're not, that's not part of their struggle. They know what they need to do. It's just getting harder and harder mm -hmm. to survive and make good choices. So it's kind of a lot like Dog Stars in that way. And it was so, so intense and beautiful. And they're out in nature. That's 
not trying to get them it's just nature yeah but so there's also a lot of like they love being out there that's how they feel most alive is being out among the trees and the water and so there's a lot of really beautiful passages about what they're seeing and then yeah so wow so definitely definitely read that one i will yeah i really like that um and then after that i read orphan of salt winds by elizabeth brooks which was fine it's kind of a gothic this 10 year old girl gets adopted by a couple in the marshes of england and it's right at the beginning of world war ii and actually the beginning was like it starts off new year's eve 2015 and she finds something on the doorstep and she realizes. and so the woman is now in her 80s she was a child during world war ii she gets something she's like oh it's the sign i've been waiting for and now i know i have to go into the marshes and not return so you're kind of like what it was it was suspenseful but it wasn't fabulous and the people were kind of annoying and well and you're coming so, off of and coming amazing up some amazing writing yeah yeah so that's always hard. but it was it was a pretty quick read and then new sons original sons uh, as in sun in the sky original speculative fiction by people of color and that was edited by nisi shawl um, and i've read her books and she was actually the only person involved with it that i that i knew so short stories which i don't usually read yeah. But I liked the speculative fiction part of it, um, and it was really good. And and I'm thinking maybe because it was a collection, so all different authors, all different styles. So I wasn't expecting anything in terms of not that there's a plot when you have short stories, but if you have a similar theme or similar writing style for all of them, it feels maybe like they should be more connected. These are all just you know different people standalone. Yeah. Yeah. So you very much knew. This is all I'm getting from this person. But it helps that you're in that suspend your disbelief mindset. So yeah, so all different ones, some involving aliens, some just kind of different, you know, slightly different worlds from our own. One that I don't even know where it was supposed to be happening, but really, really interesting stuff. One was kind of a Chinese pirate legend. There was, you know, some in Africa and a lot in the U.S., some short, some longer. I really, I just really enjoyed all of them and, you know, some more than others, but it was really. Was this um, young adult or? No. Could the boys read it? Yeah. No, so I really enjoyed it. And um, plus, you know, getting to check off my short story bingo. Excellent. So yeah, and then I'm currently reading Anna of Cleve, The Princess in the Portrait by Alison Weir. I love Alison Weir as a nonfiction writer. She's a lovely person. And I think as a historian, she's amazing. As a fiction writer, She's not the best. But I wanted to see what she would do with Anne of Cleves. She is the fourth wife of Henry VIII. If you know the um, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived thing, she is the second divorced. Uh, I thought it was Cleves with a C. Have you seen in, it both ways? Yes, it's generally with a C, but I read the afterward and she said it's, I guess technically in German it would be with a K, so that's how she spells it. Um, she's the one that Henry married based on her portrait and she showed up and he was like (laughs) but they got married and then he apparently never consummated the marriage and divorced her promptly promptly she ended up staying at court as his honored sister and was one of the most highest ranked women so it actually turned out really well for her right she didn't Um, have she had a bunch of property (laughs) it's great but very dicey philippa gregory had a book about her 
as well. And that was, I really liked that storyline and what she did with the character. Because no one really knows why he disliked her so much. Well, it's Other like, than he's crazy, but... Yeah. And he, <laughs> and he was incredibly fickle. And the winds would change, and then he somebody would run out of favor. And, and if she was misrepresented to begin with, it's hard to draw a portrait. <laughs> yes. But if one is Hans Holbein, one feels like he should have done an okay job. So, But he might have favored her... Yeah, no, there are any number of reasons, and people right. have always speculated. So, And in that speculation, there's a lot of room for speculation. Yeah. <laughs> Speculative speculation. Um, so I wanted to see because the... But you liked the Philippa Gregory one, right? I like that one a lot more. So I still want to see what she's... I'll probably get through the book. It's a I big... I just want to see. It is a big it's book. It's a big book. But it's, it's a fast read, and you can you don't have to think about it a lot. You can do some skimming. And then I watched Good Omens. I love that book. Years ago, Neil Gaiman and oh yes, Terry Pratchett wrote a book, Good Omens, about the end of the world, and an angel and a demon are trying to stop Armageddon, and Amazon Prime has made a miniseries, six episodes, with David Tennant and Michael Sheen, and it was super fun, and I liked it a lot. Good. The book is, is great. Super funny. I highly okay. recommend that as well. I'll but the TV, the TV show is fun as well. Well, you have been tearing That's through... That's it for me. You've been tearing <laughs> oh through the pages. Gosh. I have been mostly painting in the evenings because the days have been a little bit busy. So my reading list is brief but mighty. I finished book three of the Deborah Harkness series. Well done. Okay, it's called the Book of Life, and this is this is the book three of the All Souls, all, the all Souls series. And if people will, will recall, this is the world where witches, vampires, and demons live amongst humans, and we all have to just embrace this. Well, this is they're pretty secretive, though. Mm-hmm. Um, this is book three, which is the culminating book. There is she, a book for, but it's an it's, offshoot. It's yes, not a. Correct. It's not a continuation. Yeah, exactly. So we have been with these two characters for three books, which is something like I don't know three thousand pages, pages. Yeah. and it has been really fun. Um, I took a pause in between book two and book three, and book three brought us back to present day, and we learned all kinds of things about creature DNA, and we're back and forth across the pond a couple times, but we stay present day, and I don't know if I should spoil what happens with the family. I think, you know, there's a resolution. There's a resolution in the family, and it's all pretty interesting, and I love how it comes... It's, I wouldn't call it a nice, neat ending, yeah. but it is a much more open-minded, thoughtful ending than I would have anticipated. And I was really happy. Oh, good. And I was interrupted 600,000 times in the last 100 pages of the book when really I just wanted everyone to neglect me. It's one of those books where you just want, take away dinner and leave me alone. Yes. It was really good. And then I cracked this book called The Highest Tide by Jim Lynch. 
This book has been sitting on my bookshelf for many years. It is from 2005 and it won a Pacific Northwest Annual Book Award probably in 2005 or 2006. It is about a boy, Miles O'Malley, who lives in a tidal, tidal flat, I guess, or tidal area in the Pacific Northwest. And he is like a 13-year-old, and he's funny, and his tribe of people are really interesting. His best friend is an elderly lady who lives on the tidal flats, and he is longing for his next-door neighbor who is twice his age, and she's in a rock band, and his parents are getting divorced. And amidst all of this human turmoil, he is noticing that things are going wrong with the ocean. There are animals, ocean animals, who are being swept in with the tides who shouldn't be there. Jim Lynch says that he based the story on a newspaper article about a young boy who found something at the beach that shouldn't have been there. Like, I don't know if it was a great squid or something something else really odd. And he just thought it was so interesting that scientists are constantly looking for these kinds of discoveries, and it's often... A young kid who finds it because they're the ones who are really looking. Anyway, it's this boy's story with all of his neighbors and family and friends, but also his story, his love of the ocean and how he sees, he knows the tides like, like he knows what time it is or, you know, that it's dinner time or he, he just innately knows what to expect, where to find the right kinds of clams and where to look for certain birds. And it's just really interesting. And also it was timely in 2005. It's even more timely now. You know, we're struggling to take care of our natural environment. And and the kid is so sensitive to that. You know, he knows something is wrong. He just doesn't, he's 13. He doesn't know what's causing it all. You know, he'll find Japanese floats, those glass Japanese floats, you know, being swept into the tide and a nudie branch, which is really rare find that far north, I guess. I loved every page of this book. Wow. And I'm really excited to see what else he's written because I love this kind of writing. It felt a lot like a shorter version, a more brief version of Overstory, mm-hmm. that kind of writing. The, the naturalist with the humanist right and i it's that's the kind of book i want to get lost in this summer and it was an award winner so there you go check bingo entry excellent so brief but great oh and adult book yeah um it's got it's got a little bit of i mean he's a 13 year old boy and he's starting to reckon to or his best friend or his friend notices girls and maybe uses a little bit of language to but it's not a the young adult it's not for young adults however i would i would hand it to one of either one of my boys to read okay cool so yeah all right so what other so you have that one for the bingo what else do you have well i cooked with fruit and i read my award winner and I fixed a pair of earrings, so I repaired something. Oh, I well fixed done. my friend's earrings. 
so yeah, I added three entries to the three from last week. And I think, you know, this read something that Courtney recommended. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look for recommendations from listeners or other friends and fill yes. in for, for my own name there. And I don't know what I'm going to do about grilling or campfiring because I don't have a grill. And I don't know that I'm going to campfire anywhere this summer. Hmm. So I may have an empty spot. Uh-oh. So I started a new project. That would be the baby sweater. And read an alternate format. That was my short stories. The river, I feel like the boys were on vacation. So that can count for the <laughs> vacation crafting, cooking, reading. It's a book about people on vacation. Something with a one-world title, Gingerbread. And that could also count for a book about food. And that was a question, actually, someone asked me. And that is totally fine. Double dip, triple dip. Be creative. No problem with that. And also sea women, because they they talk about what they're making with the seafood and kimchi and what they're eating or not eating, what they're dreaming about eating. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of stuff about food in there as well. Oh, the baby sweater is a gift. So I got to cut to check that one off. I made a cobbler. We didn't talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it was cobbler. It's delicious. Yes. We had it for breakfast the next morning. It was fruit. And finished Little Bird, the work in progress. And I used fresh cilantro in the slaw last night. So fresh herbs, bottom corner. So I have many squares checked off, but no lines yet. I've only got six squares checked off because I, I haven't pulled the... I haven't gotten myself where I need to be with a couple of these, but... Yeah, so I've kind of done the easy ones. Yeah, so continue um, posting your entries on Instagram with the hashtag CCRRSummerBingo2019 and maybe pictures of what you're doing. Wherever you are, stay cool. Unless it's winter where you are, then stay warm. (laughs) (laughs) And remember to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.